0: I believe reading fiction is like one of the best things leaders can do. It builds empathy for understanding how other people view the world, which in turn helps you motivate people and inspire people and builds resilience,
1: Um, helps you understand what it means to be resilient, and helps you understand mental toughness. Welcome to The Common Threads. During each episode, we'll travel through time to explore the childhoods, influences, and habits of the people behind some of the world's leading companies movements and ideas subscribe today on apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app or check us out at commonthreadsmedia.com i'm your host david swain from trying to make it an improv in chicago in the early 1990s to becoming the ceo of twitter dick costello has seen a lot We sat down in November 2017 in the small office of Chorus, his fitness startup that he has since decided to shut down. We talk a bit about Chorus and get into the bigger topics, routines, favorite books, parenting while running a company, and what it's like to walk on stage and deliver a commencement speech to 45,000 people. It'd be good to do some sort of intro with, with what you're working on with Chorus. The idea behind Chorus is well, at its core, it's a social fitness
0: platform. And the hypothesis is, in the real world, social motivation and social accountability are the way people are most likely to change behaviors, get in shape, lose weight, stop smoking, stop drinking, whatever it is. And most of the fitness apps are just one-to-one app to user. here's a training program, here's a workout, here's a 20-minute, do this 15-week program. And there's no social motivation, social accountability, and so when people inevitably have a motivation dip, or they get sick, or they are traveling for work, or they're too tired, or they ran out of time of the day, or you name it, they just fall off the bus, and there's nothing to pull them back in. In the real world, people solve that with personal trainers, with, hey, let's all run a half marathon together, hey, let's run the 5K turkey trot together, hey, let's do a smart race, hey, let's... All go to Soul Cycle on Friday mornings. And social motivation, social accountability are what keep them going. And so the idea behind Chorus is teams of people all connected, small teams of people all connected to each other who help each
1: other achieve some common goal they're all working toward. How's the transition going from a company? I don't know what Twitter was at when you left, a couple four, thousand? Four, th- over 4,000 so people. 4,000 4,
0: people, well over 2 billion and annual run rate. From zero when I got there, um, dozens of offices around the world, crazy to literally you know 10, 12 people. This is my fourth or fifth company yeah. I started, so I've done it before and knew what I was getting into. It's always hard. It's even if you're doing stuff you've done before, yeah. in a new space with new challenges. And why is this? You know, all the research says X, so why are we experiencing Y or or? hey, when we prototype this, it works great, but now that it's in the app, you know, it's only working for like 50% of the user population, what's going on? It's just, you're always walking uphill, man, like always. Um, So the thing that's the same is that you're always walking uphill. (laughs) And the thing that's different is, you know, when you're over 4,000 people, everyone's roles are really specialized. You're sort of a, it's like cells in an adult body. All the cells are fully specialized. This is a liver cell, and this is a yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, uh, this is a cell in the pancreas that does this specific thing. And when you're a startup, much like when you've only got 12 cells in the first, when the body's first being yeah. created, ever you know, you're all doing everything. You got <laughs> yeah. a lot. Of, every every cell's got a lot of responsibilities, and you're, you know, right now I'm a this kind of. Right now I'm a this. Right now I'm the janitor, and the yeah. next minute I'm the office supplies person. And the next minute I'm the BD person and the next minute I'm the product, you know, person. So that's, that's a really fun part of uh, yeah. getting started when that's, you know, everyone's, everything's not highly specialized and everyone's wearing a lot of hats and doing different things and pitching it in different ways. So there's things. What hat have you on. been wearing the, the most? most? The thing that I'm most excited about is getting to really spend um, most of my time on the product. You want to spend, when you're a CEO, you want to spend your time on the highest leverage things you can spend your time on. Occasionally, getting into some, you know, really into the details on something, either to make a point or make a decision or um, help people understand something. But for the most part, you want to try to be spending your time on, what are the highest leverage things I can be spending my time on? What are the things that, you know, only, what are the decisions that only the CEO really needs to make? And uh, the reality though, uh, when you're at a place, at a 4,000-person public company, is you get dragged into things that you have to spend time
1: on that are not the highest leverage use of your time, but are the required legal use of your time, for example. You know, with building, you know, a a company around fitness and health, but you're in the startup world, how well are you able to balance things? Generally
0: speaking, Well, um, because we sort of made it a policy in the office that it's okay to leave for yoga for an hour at noon or to go to CrossFit at two o'clock to, you know, that stuff is going to be tolerated. Um, while we're, while we're also telling everybody, Hey, we need to like, this is an intense time and you know, it's going to be a big commitment and everyone's got to put lots of extra hours in, um, because you know, we shouldn't assume that we're... I always say tell people, we shouldn't assume we're smarter than anyone else. Yeah. And so we're going to get where That's we to need work. to go by working hard, but we'll sort of lot We all make time for um, physical exercise, knowing that that has great results on your mental energy as well. Yeah. Um, so with few exceptions, today being one of them, I am able to get up and
1: uh, work out some mm. regularity. This is the part where I want to just like shift back to... You know like where do you attribute like what was your childhood like like where did you you know things like your work out um, like my ch- childhood was
0: like super comfortable i never i i mean, we, you know we weren't didn't have a bunch of money, but like you know we were we were perfectly comfortable you know I had jobs growing up, but you know my parents helped me yeah my parents helped me pay for school I didn't need to take out loans i have i'd been working since I was twelve, so I always had a really you know, my parents instilled a uh, work ethic in me that you know it was like the job you could get when you were eleven or twelve was caddying. So I like caddied all summer every day, you know, five AM to four PM. Came home, ate we dinner, went to bed, we got up again at five A. M. and went. So And where was that? In in Michigan, outside yeah. of the suburbs of mm-hmm. Detroit. Yeah. So I was working hard from as soon as I could and with my parents' help I was able to was able to pay for college. Um and that just so I always had a kind of a strong work work ethic, had jobs all throughout college every summer during school during school year. I worked in the, you know, sort of ran the IT department of the sort of student union, etc. Um that was just in me from early on
1: to like work hard. Um and then at Michigan Did you see that around you and like as a kid with mentors or through your parents or my dad worked super hard and then yeah. come home and work hard around like my dad, we
0: didn't have like people who came in and like did anything. My dad, yeah, yeah. my dad and mom did, painted the house, you know, yeah. replaced the, you know, replaced the roof, uh, redid the gutters. That was, you know, they did all that. It wasn't like yeah. Bob's coming over to, you know, do X, Y, Z. They did it. Um, and so I was kind of brought up around that. Um, do you have siblings, or I do I have a younger brother you know, and younger sister? Um, yeah. And then the comedy stuff, you know, it's just always kind of like the funny guy in high school. And then mm-hmm. at Michigan, I decided to do stand up at the student union. They had these; they would have every Wednesday. They would have, they would have like, well, whoever the big stand up comedian was who was in town playing in Birmingham and Detroit on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They Ann Arbor. He would come into Ann Arbor on Wednesday night and perform at the University of Michigan and. They, like, had, you know, you could sign up as a student to go on. Basically, the warm-up acts were all students. Like, whoever wanted to go up before the Big headline Act, whoever it was, were four or five students. And I started doing that and just, like, loved it. And so, when I graduated from Michigan, I just decided, I was study computer science mm-hmm. in Michigan, just decided to try to go to Second City and get into Second City and eventually try to audition for SNL. Um, and I spent a bunch of time in Second City and the you know, Annoying Theater in Chicago, and you know, eventually auditioned for SNL and Saturday Night Live, and didn't get it. And then decided, well, better go. Did you keep out some of your party.
1: computer stuff going on the side while you were doing that, or were you all in? I was all in on that until I got auditions and didn't get the aud- yeah. and didn't get it. And then I was, and then I
0: was very much not all in. Yeah. <laughs> that was very much okay. Time to go put the computer science yeah. degree to work and make some money. Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot but of money there. I was very like hand-to-mouth for like yeah. a good four or five years there where I was just only had odd jobs that would allow me to do Second City and the Annoyance during the day and the night. So you're rehearsing during the day and you're performing at night, so you got to really have these random odd jobs
1: of working at like nightclubs, you know, as a door person at a nightclub and um, just random stuff. On the, the family stuff, one of the things I... You know, did you grow up with a lot of extended family around? Or? Yep, totally. Aunts and yeah.
0: uncles and cousins um, were all in the Detroit area. Grand mm-hmm. Rapids was sort of the farthest away anyone wants. So my uh, grandparents on both sides were in the Detroit area, yeah. um, my mom's side and my dad's side. And so everyone was there. Um, are they still uh, around Lots there? of them yeah. are still around. My parents are still around. They're in northern Michigan now. Yeah. And lots of the extended family is still in that area of Detroit.
1: Mm-hmm. I grew up in Rochester.
0: All right. The same, yeah. There you go. Yeah, my uh, cousin still lives in
1: Ferndale, a bunch of... And that's sort of the... My cousin's is sort of the gathering place for Thanksgiving and so forth now. I saw that the commencement speech. You know, what was it like going back to your school? It was amazing. Like, yeah. I mean, giving the commencement speech in Michigan, for those who haven't been How many in the, house, kids, the football yeah. stadium,
0: there's about... 45,000 people in there for commencement. I mean, for football game, you know, there's 110,000 people in there. So you're at the 50-yard line <laughs> in the middle of the football stadium, and half of the stadium is filled. The, the, the center is filled with, you know, the 6,000, 5,000 to 6,000 graduating seniors in there, black, you know, in their cap and gown. And around them, around, around that whole center there, that square in the center, are 40,000 more people, friends, family, extended family, you know, so you're, it's just crazy. You know, you're, you're walking out of the tunnel that the football players walk out of. And I remember Mary Sue Coleman, the president of the university, when I gave the speech in, in 2013, Mary Sue's, you know, like five foot one, standing in front of me, very calm. And she turns around and she goes, so have you ever spoken in front of this many people before? I was like, Yeah, during the invasion of Normandy. No, by the way, nobody has spoken in front of this many people before, except you, last year when you did this. So when would I have spoken in front of this many people, ever? I was like, no, frankly, by like 44,000, I have not spoken in front of this many people. Um, So uh, that was was a crazy experience.
1: I mean, even doing the improv and stand-up, you know, you're like comfortable on stage, but how do you keep? How did you keep it together in front of forty five thousand well, people? I did like two things intentionally, and one thing that just sort of happened.
0: The first thing I did was I rehearsed my speech like way more than I rehearsed any other speech. It's like, listen, I got, I want to know this like backward and forward. And then I reminded myself of something I always tell other people who are nervous about speaking. It's like, listen the more informal and less rigid you are, the, and the more comfortable the audience is gonna be. You know, if you're formal and stiff and sound like you're reading from a script, it's gonna, people are gonna be nervous for you. And if you're not, if you're informal and sort of relaxed and not stiff, and just let, it, let go, the audience is way more comfortable. And then you'll have more fun when the audience is more comfortable. So I just, telling myself those two things and being that comfortable with the speech I was able to like improvise a little bit, which is what I wanted to get to. I wanted to be able to, if something happened or I felt something, during speech, I wanted to be able to improvise. And I remember even rehearsing it. My assistant who was helping me rehearse it at the time it was like, don't improvise too much. You're getting more, <laughs> the more comfortable you get with it, the more you want to like go off book and like, don't do it. And she was right.
1: That's awesome. Two of the things is, is connected to what I'm trying to do with this publication that you talked about are um, being present in the moment and then the, like, just being bold and following your passions. Everyone talks about it, but it's really hard to do. Like, how do you, what have you learned about well, how to actually do it?
0: <laughs> in a very pragmatic way, you learn some of this in improv. So one yeah. of the things you learn in improvisation is since you're making it all up as you go along on stage with the other people yeah. on stage, you better be listening to what's happening on stage because if it someone changed. declares something yeah. to be true and you haven't heard it because you've got some joke yeah. in your head, the audience is going to go, what the hell? Yeah. Don just said, Don just you know opened the refrigerator door and asked Dick if he wanted a beer and Dick like said. ignored it and walked through yeah. the refrigerator. Now yeah. I don't believe anything that's happening. So you really mm. learn to listen in improv and that's sort of a again pragmatic um, approach to being present and being in the moment is really listening not just you know nodding while the other, being quiet while the other people yeah. are talking, while the other people are talking and waiting for your turn to talk i frankly just you know i've tried to always build off of that like never never be worried try not to be worrying about what comes next and pay more attention to what's going on right now irrespective of what it is um, in fact, it even extends to, I work out on, on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights now with this guy uh, that I'm doing sort of gymnastics strength training with. So it's like combination flexibility and strength, like rings, handstands, ring work, handstand work, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And when he tells me what we're going to be doing next after this, I'm always, I'm always like, don't, like, just, just, I want to focus t- on what we're that, doing. Right. I want to, like, not be thinking about yeah. the future or the past right now. I want to, like, focus on this.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's taking some simple, practical things like listening yeah. and then trying to extend those to everything else. As I've gotten older, I notice a lot more when people um, have this sense of we could be somewhere better than where we are right now. You know, they'll say like you'll be at a, at a restaurant, and the and people we're with might say like, "Do you think we should go to you know so and so? That might be better than this." Or, yes, yeah, this place is okay, but I heard so and so is really like I like I really
1: yeah.
0: detect that now. And when I hear that, I really think like, "Wow, what a like miserable way to go right. to life!" Yeah. Like this is great. We're
1: wherever, we're where we are. Yeah. Let's do what we're doing. That must have served you well in the chaotic growth environment. At Twitter, you've always got too many meetings and too many priorities, and being able to stop and listen and context shift from one meeting to the next. its, it's
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. With the caveat that there are moments where the yeah. thing that's, the, the, the the something hiding in the corner is so overwhelming, you can't block it from yeah. your mind. I mean, just to be perfectly frank, there are times when you're when you're yeah. running a company like that and you're in meeting number four during the day and all you can think about is the thing that meeting you talk about in meeting number two. It's yeah. like, oh my God, the repercussions of that or, or the implications of yeah. that. And uh, you know, what's gonna happen if you choose A versus what's gonna happen if you
1: choose B become overwhelming. And um What do you do in that situation when that happens? When you know Well uh,
0: to be perfectly frank, I never I never I don't feel like I ever came up with a good coping mechanism for that. (laughs) Because you can tell yourself to set it aside or I'll tell you what I tried to do and then it kind of worked and it kind of it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. The bigger Twitter got And I did this intentionally. The bigger Twitter got, the less I tried to have my schedule filled. So I would say when I took over as CEO in 2010, I was in October 2010. In those those first couple months, first year maybe, it was meetings, meetings, you know. One meeting ends, the next meeting starts. That meeting ends, the next meeting starts. By the time I left in July of 2015, I tried to have my schedule to the point where I had two hours free in the morning, mid-morning, and two hours free in the mid-afternoon every day of unscheduled time, where I could, I wouldn't go on email during that time. I would like go try to solve whatever pressing problem was weighing down on me, or or go try to get out ahead of the curve of whatever it was we needed to be thinking about instead of because you, know, you can let yourself get dragged into meeting after meeting after meeting. And, and I, having my mid-morning and my mid-afternoon clear all the time was better about helping me. Okay, I really got to go think about X, Y, Z before I go to this metrics meeting at noon or I'm not mm-hmm. going to hear a word anyone says. And I'm going to take this time to do it. Um, so that was helpful. Mm-hmm. But again, there are times when something comes up that you're just like, well, this is what we're going to be like freaking out about for the next three days. It might be a, you know, an investor thing or a, or a metrics thing or some external event,
1: et cetera. For you, the self-reflection to be able to say, like, I need those two hours in the morning, is that like a, you hit a breaking point and you're like it's overwhelmed, too many, too much going on? I got you know, do No, like you I was a... getting
0: dragged. I just felt like... If you're the CEO of a big company, you can always be busy and always be getting pulled into things. And then you're never stopping to think about, hey, what are we going to do about XYZ or how should we think about this bigger issue? And so you have to like, you know, I was sort of religious about those hours with my assistant. Like, we're not going to use that time for busy work, um, email, for example. Um, and that was super helpful, I thought that was great, and if I didn't have some pressing issue in those hours, I would go talk to people, you know, like, you know what, I haven't talked to the people on the direct sales, you know, on, on direct sales in a while, I'm going to go up to the 11th floor and walk over there and see what they're doing, or I'm going to go down to the ads API team, or I'm going to walk down to the Android team that's working on the new Android release and, like, see if we've spent up the load time on Android, And That's great way to. Those are great ways to come up to speed on how things are going in the company. That is separate from your direct reports telling you how things are going in the company. You quickly learn like whether everyone's sort of saying the same thing or not um, when you just walk by those walk by those areas and
1: just hang out and talk to people. Yeah. Are you able to carve out time here to yeah, think? Uh, absolutely. You've got that. Yeah. yeah, I have one-on-ones with I, at this point I have one-on-ones and time with everyone on the team. Yeah. We'll see how long that lasts as we grow. One of the things that I'm always really interested in is like the routines and habits that allow you to be successful at work that happen obviously a lot of times outside of work, but what are yours right now? Like, What are the routines that you kind of can't live without where your day feels really thrown when they're not there? Exercise for sure. Yeah. I have way more mental energy. and
0: I'm Not even because, oh, I like exercising so much, I now feel better. Yeah. You, I just have more positive thoughts and positive mental energy and ability to focus when I get an hour workout in yeah. um, four, five, six days a week. And Are you I morning or night, or does it not I'm matter? I'm way anymore? more of an eve, afternoon. Okay. Thing. Yeah. If I can af- work out in the afternoon or evenings, I'm like ecstatic. Yeah. On Friday, I have to work out at 7 in the morning just because of my schedule. And I, yeah. I like dread getting up in the morning and going to work out before. Yeah. I'm, especially as I get older, I feel like i got to like, move Think around for really? a little <laughs> yeah. while before, before I start working out. Okay. <laughs> um, sad reality. So that is... That's probably the one com- That's probably yeah. the one most common thread, and that I really have tried to stick to, even though we're a smaller company now. Not just going from ever ever having days when I'm like in meetings all day or in meetings all afternoon. It's yeah. just not.
1: It's not great for just your mental focus and your ability yeah. to think about things. And what about you know whether it's reading or music or walks or meditate, oh, like, yeah, what are the sure. things that you, what are the things no, that go like, ground you? Fiction
0: is, I'm a yeah. big avid consumer of fiction. I believe reading fiction is like one mm. of the best things leaders can do. I think it, it builds empathy um, for understanding how other people view the world, which in turn helps you motivate people and inspire people and builds resilience. Um, helps you understand what it means to be resilient and uh, helps you understand mental toughness. I think that combination of being able to look at the world through other characters or other people's Mm -hmm. perspectives and intense physical exercise is a great way to build resilience and focus. Mm
1: -hmm. Any favorite books that you're reading right now? I have so many. I was just talking. We were just having conversations
0: about this last night. Um, Just one that's in my brain right now because I Happened to glance across the glance across the bookshelves the other night and was thinking a lot more about it as Ken Kesey's "Sometimes a Great Notion," which was really like changed the way I thought about like.
1: In many ways, for me, it's
0: the great American novels. A lot of people would say like Norman Maclean's "A River Runs Through It," and well, other people would say Hemingway or Gap or, or Fitzgerald. But sometimes a great notion just like changed the way I thought about. America in a lot of ways. When I read it, and it's a, one of my favorite books.
1: What are the like five things part of your day or your week that could be your morning cup of coffee? What are the five things that you kind of can't? Live I don't without? have those. You don't have them. No, I don't. Yeah. I don't
0: have them. I don't. I tend to not like routine. Mm. So the thing that I have that's mm. the things that I have that are routine are physical mm-hmm. exercise. Yeah. I box on it's Monday good. afternoons. Yeah. I do this um, this sort of gymnastic, strength, crossfit yeah. combination stuff on Wednesday night and Thursday night. I do plyometrics on Friday morning. That's I good. run or mountain bike Saturday, and just to sort of do weight stuff on Sunday. Yeah. Um. That's my one routine. Everything else, have almost no routine and don't want to have. you to go with the I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel like. It just takes me out of what's happening to be in a routine about something. Yeah. I just I yeah. don't tend to have things that, uh oh, every yeah.
1: morning at 8 a.m. I do this. I don't ever do anything like that. Yeah. What about uh, you as a CEO versus you as a parent? <laughs> well how did the two one of the reasons the reason not one of the reasons. Yeah. The reason I
0: left Twitter was I remember telling Peter Curry, the lead independent director. But when I told them, it's was like, listen, it's, we moved out here when Rose was in sixth grade. I started working at Twitter that fall when she went into sixth grade. And those are big she's years. A senior in, she's yeah. a senior in high school this year, and I haven't seen Rose since, I literally I mean, yeah. not figuratively, I literally have missed everything. The dance recitals, the birthday parties, the, you know, you name it. I and missed it. I was like, yeah. she's here for one more year. like you guys pick between this date and this date, but you know, once we get together and sort of yeah. tell the whole board about it and vote on it, that's, that's it for me. I'm not gonna miss the last year
1: she's, she's home with us. Yeah. With and her. so she in school around here? Or? She's in Michigan, she's in Ann yeah. Arbor, where, oh, wow. I, where, where cool. I went, which yeah. is great. So she loves it, she's out a ball. And what about before that, starting companies uh, for you? I, that, I, you I, I had time to do you had more, I had time yeah.
0: to, yeah. Spend time with the family, and I would always cut out to go to yeah. go see the dance recital or take Rose to brunch or something like that. And then there was just zero time for that at Twitter. The, yeah. the notion that you can run a company like that yeah. that was really on the treadmill and have like balance was like there was zero work life balance. How was she with it? <laughs> Both my kids and and Lauren, my wife, were very understanding of this is just going to be like
1: super high volume, high stress until it's over. And then that will be that. Thanks to Dick for joining us. And thanks to you for bearing with the fantastic audio quality. Funny story. This was my first recording and the file disappeared from the recorder. So this was the backup for my iPhone. Life lesson, always have a backup. Thanks for listening to our show this week. If you want to find out more or give us your feedback, go to commonthreadsmedia.com or leave us a comment on Instagram or Facebook. You can subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks to Alicia Barrett, who edited the show. You've been listening to The Common Threads from Common Threads Media.